Turn with me in your Bibles this morning, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, we're looking together in verses 1 through 14. Verses 1 through 14, and we're continuing the series that we've been in now for a number of months that Pastor Chad has been leading us through this gospel. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. The title of the sermon is, An Invitation You Can't Decline. An Invitation You Can't Decline. Verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his farm and another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and even killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies to destroy the murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited, they were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast." Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father, we bow to you together in this moment of worship. We thank you for the privilege of coming together, being stirred anew in mission as we contemplated missionaries overseas. We've sung to you great hymns and songs of the faith. We've read your word, and now we we come before you to hear it preached. We pray, Father, for the speaker, the preacher, would you use him? I pray, Father, for every listener, those in the room, and joining us via live stream. Would you help us to understand, help us to obey your word today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a wedding invitation is most unlike any other invitation because a a wedding day is unlike most any other wedding day. My wife and I, this summer, just a few weeks ago, in fact, we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary, uh, June 26, 1999. I remember the day like yesterday. After nearly a year of dating and nearly another year of, of engagement, the day was finally upon us. In the months leading up, we had worked through a thousand decisions, and finally, alas, we're at that day of wedding. And that Saturday, it rained cats and dogs all day long. Until about an hour before the service, the rain stopped, the sun came out, and it was as though God was smiling on us that summer evening. The doors of the church opened, a sanctuary not too unlike this one, and then down the center aisle walked my wife in her beautiful wedding dress uh, to the hymn playing on the organ, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And that day was a special day, a most beautiful day for us, and as they say, the rest is history. 
Doubtlessly, as I preached to you this morning, many, many of you in the room have a similar recollection of, of a day some years ago, perhaps some decades ago, when, when you and your spouse, you, you tied the knot. Weddings seize our imagination most like any, unlike any other human occasion. Especially so when it comes to royal weddings, right? We, we all tend to, to tune in when a, a member of the British royal family is getting married. Just a few years ago, Prince William and Kate, and more recently, Prince Harry and Meghan get, get married. And, and there's something special about a, a wedding taking place in a place like Westminster Abbey and a reception taking place in a place like Buckingham Palace. Royal weddings are special. Our passage this morning actually speaks to a a royal wedding. And in the ancient world, a royal wedding was an even bigger affair than a royal wedding in our modern world. In fact, in the ancient world, a a wedding of of a commoner was a a big deal. Typically in the ancient world, a a wedding was not just a day. It was a week-long feast, a week-long celebration where where guests would come and friends would come to this celebration. Typically, they would stay at the the house of the groom and set up up tents around the house of the groom, and they all would come and, and stay there for about a week for a celebration. For a, a royal wedding celebration, like we see in these verses, it was a multi-week affair. No expenses would be spared. It would be the event of the year, perhaps the event of the decade, and all who were invited, they came. Now, whether it's my wedding, your wedding, William and Kate, or this ancient royal wedding, there's one thing that every wedding has to have, and that is an invitation list. You have to narrow down who you invite, and some of it is just very practical. There are issues of expense. I mean, how many people can we afford to feed at the reception? Uh, There are logistical issues of seating. How how many people will the the sanctuary accommodate? Uh, You have to work through some of the interpersonal dynamics. Do we want to invite, you know, the Debbie Downers we know, or that second cousin who will show up improperly dressed, right? You have to think through the practicalities as well. What do we see in this parable before us this morning is something similar. A group of people are invited to a wedding, but they don't respond appropriately. Uh, in recent weeks, at the end of the school year, my, my youngest son and youngest daughter, uh, part of a class assignment, they wrote a letter to President Trump. And my youngest daughter, just a couple weeks ago, got a, a letter back from President Trump. And it, it was on official White House stationery. It was embossed. It came in a, in a container indicating it was from the White House. And it, the letter was sandwiched between cardboard so it would not be bent. Understanding the recipient would likely want to frame it. And that letter made its way around the Allen household and posted on social media. And, and there was no mistaking it was a letter from the White House. And we treated it with such excitement. My son, whose letter to President Trump contained a series of policy proposals, well, he hasn't heard back yet. (laughs) But my daughter, that letter came, and it came in the mail unlike any other letter we've ever received. Such would be the royal wedding invitation. It shows up from a courier. You are invited. Indeed, you are summoned to this special gathering. Now, what's taking place in these verses? Well, what we see before us, this is the third parable in a row where Jesus has spoken confrontationally to the Jewish leaders, in particular, the chief priests, 
and in particular the Pharisees. And you recall that, that these elite religious leaders, they, they were pious, they were self-righteous, they were known as, the, as the, religious, the religious type, and folks looked to them with respect, and they carried themselves accordingly. But Jesus, who always goes from the outward veneer to the heart, he sees that their hearts were far from him. In fact, in chapter 23 of this gospel, if we were to turn there, we would see Jesus speak perhaps the sharpest words recorded in the scriptures for this very class of people. Why? Because they were outwardly pious, but inwardly they were dead. Jesus called them. He likened them as whitewashed tombs. Well, the drama is picking up in chapter 21. In fact, notice in verse 23 of chapter 1, he, meaning Jesus, he enters the temple the chief priests and the elders of the people, they came to him while he was teaching, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? They're trying to ensnare Jesus into a verbal trap, and it was a common trap they laid, trying to get him to answer in a way that either would make him crosswise with the scriptures or crosswise with the Roman authorities, crosswise with religious tradition. They're trying to ensnare him. Jesus begins to unpack and teach them on authority. And then he comes to verse 28. He gives them the parable of two sons, which is a rebuke to them. Then verse 33, the parable of the, of the landowner, which is an additional rebuke to them. Then notice verse 45 of chapter 21. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. So they're not confused. And as we're about to see as we walk through this parable together, it is barbed. It is pointed. And they understand that Jesus is speaking about them. He is speaking to them. But we will see not merely words for the first century. We will see words for the 21st century for us as well. Verse 46 of chapter 21, they sought to seize him. They feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So notice verse, verse 1 of chapter 22. And this is where our passage picks up this morning. And look, this parable really unfolds pretty clearly. I mean, some parables are, are kind of opaque, and you're studying, and, and, and you think this is what's going on, and you think this is what Jesus is teaching. This is pretty direct. Now, I didn't say it's easy to stomach, but I said it's pretty direct to understand. And really, it plays out over two halves. The first half, the first seven verses, Jesus is speaking to these, and he, we get this parable of this, of this wedding feast invitation, and we see a profile of those who, who decline, or those who delay, those who don't embrace Christ. And then the second half, verses 8 through 14, we see the breadth of the gospel, the invitation to all, and we see a picture of those who respond and how they are to respond. Notice verse 1. So, so Jesus begins to speak to them, and he speaks to them now in parables. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. The kingdom of heaven, just is, for this parable, think of it as God's spiritual realm. Here's God's spiritual order. Here's how God works. Here's how things work in God's dominion. The kingdom of God may be compared to this, a king. In the ancient world, a king who would have absolute authority, absolute rulership, his word is the law. He has unlimited, relatively speaking, resources. In this parable, the king is God the Father. The kingdom of heaven may be like a king 
a God the Father who gave a wedding feast for his son. The ancient world, again, the wedding feast would be like the, the event of the decade. It's a big deal. And it's a special occasion, and if the king only had one son, it would be all the more special. And again, it may indeed be the event of the decade. If you were invited, you came. You came expectantly because you would be fed like you never fed. It would be the, the oldest wine, the, 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 the fattened calf. All of that would be put before you to feast and enjoy. This feast is for his son. The wedding feast in our parable is the eternal state. The marriage feast of the Lamb where all of the children of God celebrate and rejoice for all eternity. The grace of God has given to us through Jesus Christ. Verse 3. So this invitation has been sent. And again, as I shared through the little analogy about the letter from the White House, there will be no confusion. This is not like you know, an email that may have been lost in a spam filter. It shows up officially. It's brought to you. You have been invited. And think with me. Who would be invited to a royal wedding? Well, who was invited to the royal wedding of William and Kate? Probably not you. I know I wasn't. It's the, the aristocracy. It's, it's the peerage. It's the elites of the elites. Those who are on a similar social plane. Well, the ancient world, this, this letter would go out, these invitations would go out to, uh, to some family members, yes, and then all the appropriate social contacts, all the appropriate political relationships that need to be maintained, perhaps some, some other royal families invited. You see, we're keeping all the proper channels going, and we're inviting these people, the upper crust. Invitations went out, verse 3, but strangely, the RCP envelopes haven't been coming in the mail. Strangely, we're not hearing back. Verse 3. So he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, but were unwilling to come. They re received an invitation, haven't responded. So the king is now sending out his servants to go say, and, and basically go door to door, house to house, just confirming you got the invitation, just, just making sure you know, the, the RSVP date has passed, haven't heard from you, are, are you coming? Who are the slaves in this parable? The slaves in this parable are the Old Testament prophets who pointed again and again and again to the Messiah. The slaves are people in the New Testament like John the Baptist who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The slaves in our contemporary age are those who preach the gospel, those who share the gospel, people like us who go out that are saying, You may have heard the message before, but once again, repent and believe in Christ. Verse 4. Again, he sent out other slaves. An invitation has been ignored. First round of follow-ups didn't drum up a crowd. Now a second round of follow-up is going forth. He tells other slaves, saying, Tell those who've been invited. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. Oxen and fattened livestock, they've all been butchered. In other words, we're ready. we can't return the food to Costco. It's been open. We can't just like delay this a month. No, it, it's, it's ready. Where are you? Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Now notice verse 5. But they paid no attention. You know, brothers and sisters, when you think about it, there are only two types of people in the world. Not rich or poor. 
Not black or white, not young or old, not male or female, not educated or uneducated, any other binary way of categorizing the human race that you can think of. There really is only one way of doing it that's most consequential. Those who have responded to the invitation and those who haven't. And we see that, that starkly laid out before us. And it's, it's really mind-boggling if you look at it carefully because all the people who outwardly should have been eager to respond, they're indifferent. They say things like, i got to work on the farm, verse 5. i got a business to tend to, verse 5. Luke chapter 14, which is a Luke's rendering of this parable, we get a touch more elaboration where, where we're told that, that one says, I bought five oxen. i got to go tend to the, 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 I just made a little investment i got to tend to. Another says, i got a business to take, care to, to, to take care of. Another says, I'm recently married. In other words, they all have excuses. But their excuses have been weighed in the balance and definitely found wanting. Notice verse 6. So the king, verse 6, or excuse me, verse 6, notice what they do. Not only do they decline the invitation, some actually seize the slaves and mistreat them and kill them. Again, this is transparently clear to Jesus' listeners. This is referring to a way Jesus is, the prophets pointing to Jesus were persecuted. And today, some are persecuted as well. Verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. What in the world is this referring to? Many Bible teachers believe, and I'm inclined to believe this way as well, that this is Jesus referring to what would happen in A.D. 70. History teaches us quite clearly that in A.D. 70, uh, the Romans conquered Jerusalem. They sacked Jerusalem. The Roman general Titus came and killed about 1.1 million Jews. And Jesus is saying, I think you have been so rejected. My people have been so stiff-necked. You have, you have not only resisted the message, you have killed the messengers. And judgment is coming to the people of Israel. As you reflect on what's happened in these first seven verses, it's clear that the tragedy, the irony, the insult is accentuated from every conceivable angle. The king invites, no commoner invites, the king invites. He invites for his son, the most prized one in his life. It's a wedding feast, the grandest of celebrations. They've been previously invited. They had plenty of time to come, but they ignored they evidently did not regret. They just ignored it. The king sent servants to follow up. They're still unwilling to come. He sent, he sent more servants to follow up. They're still unwilling to come. He conveys to them the, ex, the expense has been made. The, the livestock has been butchered. The, the mills are ready. They still don't come. And what is more, they give the lamest of excuses. How many of you ever have events to that you invite people to. At the seminary, we have events occasionally. At our home, we have events occasionally, like many people do. And it is annoying, is it not, when you invite someone and they don't get back with you in time? It's just annoying. You don't know, you know, does, my wife doesn't know what to prepare or what not to prepare, and, and they drag it out, and, and you kind of like, well, do they get it? Do we call to follow up or, or not? And then, and, then, and then what is really annoying, if they don't get back with you, they finally get back with you, and the excuse is really lame. We're sorting our socks this weekend, and we will not be able to attend. That's the tragedy of these first seven verses. Delay, delay, delay. We're going to the Royals game. Delay, delay, delay. 
just got some business venture I need to tend to. Delay, delay, delay. You see what's taking place here? And so what are we taught? What is Jesus saying to us here? What are we to make of this? The reason Jesus speaks so sharply to these Jewish leaders is because though they knew the Scriptures so well, they rejected the one to whom the Scriptures pointed. What is more... He's rebuking them because they have resisted their general revelation that points to Christ, biblical revelation that points to Christ, and even their personal exposure because they were neck deep into the law of God. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are going to resist the gospel of Christ and not follow Jesus, don't do that from an ex-Baptist church. Don't do that from a Bible-believing household. Don't do that from a mother and father who love you and invest the scriptures in you and point you to the gospel again and again and again. Why? Because we do learn in scripture and we see it alluded to here. There is a heightened sense of judgment for those who have heard it more than any others but have yawned and declined. You see? We are also taught here that to neglect is to reject. To delay is to deny. One bought a field. You see, one has business interests. One just got married. There's always an excuse. But listen to me closely this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Complacency towards God can bring you the same outcome eternally as open hostility towards God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But we see the grace of God even rolling through these first seven verses, don't we? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus, I'd probably be fed up with these clowns. And my parable would go something like, the king is invited, and there would be no follow-up announcements, no follow-up. The king's invited, and they didn't respond, so you know, fire is falling from heaven. There is grace woven through these first seven verses because we see the message sent and sent again and sent again till finally they begin to persecute the messenger. Notice verse 8. Now here the passage swings and we get a glimpse of those who do come. Notice verse 8. Then he said to his slaves... The wedding is ready, but those who are invited, they were not worthy. Wait a minute. Who was invited? The upper crust. In the parable, the social elite, the spiritual application of this parable that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you were invited those who were religiously accomplished, you were religiously credentialed. You mean they weren't worthy? Exactly. Why? Because those who are worthy are those who perceive their own unworthiness. Go, therefore, to his disciples, to his servants. Here it says, go to the main highways. What are the highways? Is this I-35 and, and I-29? No. In our world, we got highways we travel to and fro work for to and, and, and back and forth from church and back and forth from social activities and all the rest. And, and we zip up and on our highways. We go 60, 70, what have you, miles an hour. And we, and we transit those abruptly. And we're not really, you know, we'll occasionally read a billboard to get a message, but we're not really getting messages by those standing on the side of the road. 
the ancient world, the highways were walking paths, and people would walk from city to city, town to town, walk to do commerce, walk to a meeting, walk to a gathering. If you wanted to get a message across in the ancient world, you didn't put on a billboard or send out a mass email. You put couriers on these walking paths. People aren't driving, they're walking. You can speak to them and walk with them a little while and convey that message, and they'll listen and take it in. And what is more, they're walking. And so where they're walking to, the message with them, and and they can take it to people where they're going. So Jesus says, the parable says, the king says, go to the main highways, and as many as you find there, you invite them to the wedding feast. So, So the servants go out, and there is no discrimination. Who's ever walking down the road? Younger, old, rich or poor, dirty, clean, nice clothes, bad clothes, whatever. You invite them to the wedding feast. And so this is a picture of gospel ministry. This is a picture of, of Christian service. That, that we go out, that we go out and we can take that message out and invite others to come. Come one, come all. So notice verse 10. The slaves went out into the streets Gather together all they found, both evil and good. It's an indiscriminate invitation. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Do you realize that there is an inverted topography in the kingdom of God? Man's way, so often even our way, is to look on the outward, but God looks on the heart. We're taught in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that there aren't many not mighty. There aren't many noble. There aren't many wise who find their way into the kingdom of God. We're a pretty motley crew, if you reflect honestly. Maybe there's a billionaire in the room, but if there is, I'm unaware. Maybe there's a professional athlete in the room, but if there is, I'm, I'm unaware. Maybe there's a, a corporate titan in the room. Maybe there's a poet laureate in the room. Maybe there's a great, a, great, a great member of the arts in the room. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But most likely not. More broadly, you look at the kingdom and churches as a whole, and typically the upper crust of America in the 21st century, they're not worshiping at a place like the next Baptist church on the Lord's Day. Why is that? Well, this passage reminds us, and the Scriptures teach us, that that those who are ready to be saved, indeed those who are saved, typically they come after seeing their own need. And if your bank account has a billion dollars, and your social life is from one event to the next, and your professional life is from one victory to the next victory, there may not be some pausing to reflect on what one needs in Christ. But these messengers go out, the evil and the good, and they invite them in. And the wedding hall, we are taught, we are told, is filled. What do we see taking place here in verse verse 10? We are taught here that heaven will be well populated and gloriously so. We're taught here that heaven will be well populated, not only numerically, but will be populated not by the greatest of these, but by the least of these. Heaven will be populated by those who are good and evil. You can come to faith in Christ as a six-year-old boy, having not committed too much sin in your life. 
You can come to Christ as a 66-year-old man after decade after decade of debauchery. And both can gain interest into the kingdom of heaven through the gospel of Christ. You see, the, the, the irony is that there is no one who is so sinful, but that they can't be saved by the gospel. But there is no one who is so self-righteous, but they don't need to be saved by the gospel. So notice what happens in verse 11. Now here we get to what, what may be like, man, this is kind of, this is kind of puzzling here. What, what's going on here? Verse 11. The king came in, took over the dinner guest. He saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. What, what is this business about clothes and dressing? Is, is, what's the parable saying? Is it saying that like, you gotta, you, you got like, you know, you to wear your best clothes to church? If you don't wear your best clothes to church, that that's a sign you're not a Christian? Well, of course not. The picture of the wedding clothes here is being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's a picture that when one comes to faith in Christ, we are adorned in Christ's righteous robes. And so what the parable is saying, that in any gathering, any religious gathering, any church gathering, any here, we're gathered together, and, and I trust that the vast majority of people here are following Christ, believing in Jesus, but there may be some who, who, who come in occasionally, and, and you, kind of, you kind of get stirred by, by the music, and you get stirred to touch by the sermon, and you leave kind of feeling good, having to, bumped into the people of God, and having come into God's house on a Sunday or Saturday night, and you kind of feel good about it, so you leave feeling a little bit better about yourself, but, but you've never repented of your sins, you've never given your life to Christ, you never bowed before him, figuratively speaking, in submission to Jesus. You've never believed the gospel, and so you're, you're here, and you're around, but you're not robed in the righteousness of Christ. The Bible speaks in so many different ways, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, different ways. And the truth of the matter is, we, this side of eternity, will never know one another's hearts perfectly, and so we might conjecture at times about someone's spiritual state, but we don't know, but in the final day, the last day, that will be revealed. And the parable is warning us, and Jesus is warning us through this parable, that yes, invited, and yes, those who will remain, though, are those who have received Christ, and those who have been adorned with the perfect righteousness of Christ. You can miss heaven, though you've attended church every Sunday. You can miss heaven, though you have never skipped a tithe check. You can miss heaven, though you've graduated from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. You can miss heaven and work at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. You can miss heaven and have 17 degrees from a seminary and three ordination certificates and six churches having licensed you. But you can have none of that but be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and be as more guaranteed for heaven than you are that you're guaranteed that you're actually in this room right now. See? And by the way, again, here's the kingdom, the kingdom tone we get. That those who are kind of the rabble, the motley crew, folks like us, God gets more glory out of redeeming people like that because there's no external reason why the king of the cosmos would want to be seated with us. And what is more, people who are, who are part of the rabble, the motley crew, not the wise, not the noble, not the wealthy of the world, they are more appreciative when the king says, come and sit 
and sit with me. Our spirit must be like that of the great hymn writer, the great hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I Now, our, our parable then kind of rolls to an end here with this final rejection of the one who's not found in the, in, in the robes of Christ cast out. And then Jesus pulls it together and says, for many are called, but few are chosen. What in the world does that mean? What is Jesus saying here? Is heaven only for a slight few and we can't do anything about it? And this is just a part of God's great plan. And, and you may be here today and I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven, but I can't go because I'm not chosen. That's not at all what's taking place here. Let me kind of paint it for you this way, by way of analogy. This past week, uh, I had the privilege of, of serving jury duty. And uh, I am 42 years old. I know this real, reveals something warped about me, but I have actually always wanted to have jury duty. And uh, I've always wanted to have jury duty to see what it would be like. And I felt like it, you know, one way to, to, to serve your community and be a good citizen. And so I've been, I had a couple of near misses over the years, but this is the first time I actually went to serve. And so I'm there on Monday morning at 8 a.m. and there are about 250 of us in this room. And of the 250 that went up getting called to about, about 50, five zero of us go into like another room. And so then the 50 of us, five zero, were in this room for about, about five or six hours. And it was a, a civil case, not a criminal face case. But for the next five or six hours, the plaintiff's attorney and the defendant's attorney, but primarily the plaintiff's attorney, spent hour after hour after hour asking questions to to call that group. And, and they're trying to size up, you know, if we have any prejudices or any pre-commitments that might, that might incline us to rule one way or the other. And, you know, the questions kept coming and kept coming and kept coming until finally by the end of the day, uh, they had gotten it down to 13, 12 on, you know, 12 jurors and, 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 one, and one alternate. And I made the, made the, made the cut. We wound up having jury duty Tuesday and Wednesday. I told my wife, my goal in life is to be elected foreman of the jury. Proud to report I was elected foreman. And so I was able to keep us, keep our work on track there as I was able to guide us to a decision. You go from 250 to 13. Many were called, but, but a few were chosen. What is Jesus saying here? It's a reminder of the great mystery of salvation. That whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Young or old, this day or any day, if you'll reach out to Christ in repentance of faith, you will be saved. It's also a reminder, though, there is a mystery in conversion. And from, from in the perfect will and mind of God, the Bible also speaks to those who are following Christ as those who are chosen, who God set his love on. And that's a mystery that it's not up to us to reconcile. It's none of us are going to reconcile it. But we looked at that and say, the goodness and the glory of God is that his wedding feast will be well populated, and God is committed to that, and his spirit is working to that end. How might you know today if you're one of these who'll be with the marriage feast of the Lamb forever? I tell you, have you repented of your sins and believed in Christ? If not this day, this morning, this moment, you can do that. You can cast yourself upon the mercies of Christ. Repent of your sins and believe in him and be robed in his righteousness and live with him forever.
Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the passage we've seen. We thank you, Father, for these verses. I pray, Father, in this moment now as we sing a hymn of response together. Father, I pray you would help us. I pray your, your spirit would work. Your spirit would convict. Perhaps there are some who, who, who are ready to join this fellowship or pursue baptism or make some other spiritual decision. Father, I pray today they would step out and come. Most urgently, Father, I pray for, for someone or, or some here today who, who they must confess that they've kind of been along for the ride. They've been watching, but, but they've never really come to faith in Jesus. They've never been robed in his righteousness. Father, I pray this morning they would, they would be quick to come. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's stand together and sing out to the Lord. Pastor Bill is going to lead us. Let's stand together. If God has touched your heart, come forward now. We love to see you, love to pray with you, love to receive you in the name of Jesus. Lead us, Bill.